On this episode of Cinema Smorgasbord Presents, we do our own stunts. Loway's stockpile of unfinished Jackie Chan films is exhausted. And, controversially, Jackie's time with Loway has officially come to an end. It's 1979's Dragon Fist. <laughs> Welcome to We Do Our Own Stunts, a chronological look at the life and work of martial arts superstar Jackie Chan. I'm Doug Tilly, and with me as always is the world's deadliest man, Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing today, Liam? I'm pretty great, Doug. How are you? So, you know what? So good. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Well, we're, we're both in a positive mood. Who'd have thought it? <laughs> it must be because of the quality of film that we're going to be talking about today. Oh, man. Groundbreaking. You know, Liam, uh, we've joked around on this podcast a little bit about the idea that maybe, you know, you... You want to get to the the meat of the Jackie Chan career, and sometimes I, I poke at you a little bit. The fact that we're doing a little, you know, we're going we're we're going into detail on everything. But the fact is, uh, even in terms of the transitionary films that we've talked about so far, we are at the most transitionary point I think in the career of Jackie Chan right now, right after this movie that we're talking about today, because it's the end of his time with Lo Wei. It's him heading to Golden Harvest. It's him. Running away to the United States to avoid being murdered. And then when he comes back from that United States kind of excursion, it you know, we're only a few films away from Project A, which is just gonna launch everything into the stratosphere. I wanna be clear that careful listeners to this podcast will know I have never said that. All I've said is I wish the movies were less bad. That's not the same. That's not the same as pining for these later movies because while I am excited to talk about those movies in one sense, they are a bit of a bummer for me because most of them I have seen. My, sure. My my hope with this podcast was to explore a bunch of the Jackie Chan movies I haven't seen. Now that's not to say once we get to the later career I'm going to know all the movies. I've already looked at some of this some of the lists and been like I don't know any of the, you know there's a there's a right, chunk right, right. that I don't know but uh but these very early films we've been talking about this was part of the point now did I hope that the hit ratio would be slightly higher than it has been of course we always want to find a a gem we didn't know about something that comes out of nowhere we all want that but I also think even the ones that maybe haven't been quite what I wanted most of them have not been utterly terrible either so watching them hasn't been like you know, I don't want to do this too much, but comparing to some of our other shows, I don't think there's been as much of a endurance test, I think, in watching these older Jackie Chan movies. I think today's film is a great example. Um, it's not an amazing movie, and we'll get into stuff about it, but there are things I like. It's just so markedly not a Jackie Chan movie right. when it comes to the 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 stereotype maybe or or the tropes that we associate with a lot of the movies that he had control of uh and not least of it's in how serious it is but that doesn't make it a bad movie and it's certainly not the worst movie that we've watched in this series uh i just wish that it, it was you know i i'm excited to get to more movies that i'm excited about that seem like really cool but uh but i'm not like oh i i i, I need to watch fucking uh first strike again like i've the ones that i've already seen 50 times are not the reason i started this podcast or i started we started this podcast one of the other things that we've noticed over the last what 10 movies is that there's a very kind of 
there's a lot of visual similarity in the movies yes, that we're yes. seeing, right? And plot similarities as well. And the thing I'm most looking for, uh, the thing I'm most looking forward to going forward is just like, like some different locations, you know, different kind of scenarios. That's one of the things I'm most excited about about hitting some of those American movies, uh, even though their quality won't necessarily be too high. And that, you know, and seeing what he learns from being in the United States and takes back with him afterwards. So with that in mind, I just want to go quickly. I've done this over the last few episodes. Just kind of go quickly about what we're going to be covering coming up through the rest of 2023. I also want to mention that there are a couple of movies that we're not covering here that Jackie Chan just did uh, action direction on. That includes 1979's Dance of Death with Dean Sheck and Angela Mao, 1979's Immortal Warriors. Uh, I think um, Lo Wei is one of the directors on that as well. Jackie also has a very brief, like an, a one scene appearance, uh, a little bit disputed, but I think I've seen uh, screenshots that pretty much prove that he appears in 1979's Fists and Guts. So with that in mind, the movies after this one are The Young Master from 1980, which is uh, Jackie Chan's first Golden Harvest film. Then he heads to the States for Battle Creek Brawl in 1980, a.k.a. The Big Brawl. Then The Cannonball Run in 1981. And then back to Hong Kong for Dragon Lord, which was originally supposed to be a sequel to The Young Master. And then Fantasy Mission Force, which is the one that I'm most looking forward to you seeing, Liam. Because, uh, is that right? That's a, that's a wild movie. It's pretty wild. Uh, and they're all fascinating. You know, they all have their own stories. I also wanted to mention, you know, we've really hit these particular movies that we've covered. We're, we're doing this podcast at the right time, because even a few years ago, a lot of these films that we've been talking about so far were not available in particularly good looking transfers. And even some of them weren't available easily subtitled. And, you know, because of 88 films releasing all of those films, um, the, the low way films over the last few years, you know, even up to this one, his very last one, they've all looked pretty darn good. The version of this movie that we saw looked great, I thought. I agree. I think that it's easy to um, focus too much on that th that these movies, again, aren't Rumble in the Bronx or First Strike, but we've actually had an opportunity to see things that prior, you know, not even that long ago, you'd have to struggle to see the value in because the image yeah. you're seeing, the audio quality, everything about the presentation is so low, you truly have to be obsessed with the genre to enjoy, which I have done. You know, I, I've watched the UHF uh, uh, screenings of Kung Fu movies where it, it, I've never seen an image so bad on my TV. Like, <laughs> you know, this is on a CRT TV. Like, watching some of these movies on a black and white CRT TV in my kitchen, <laughs> it was still like, what am I even looking at sometimes? And I would still watch them because I cared about the, this genre so much. But uh, getting to see them in... in you know, maybe not always the exact quality they were when they were re released, but in some cases, better quality than when they were released, yeah, considering absolutely. the damage to the film and stuff. It's just amazing. It's an amazing gift, and I I'm really thankful for it. And the timing has worked out particularly well. Now, I mentioned 88 films. Those releases, I think, with a lot of the same special features, were released uh, as a collection by Shout Factory uh, last year as the Jackie Chan collection. And in fact, when that was released, we mentioned it on the show. Uh, some people in on social media were kind of negative on it because, you know, the movies were the low way movies. They're not the ones generally considered the classics. Uh, and as we've gone into detail on on this show, there are highs and lows, uh, no pun intended, on those uh, on those films. But since our last episode, uh, Shot Factory has actually announced the Jackie Chan Collection Volume 2, which is actually also fortuitous for us because it, co it collects some of the films that we're going to be covering over the next couple of years. That includes, in these eight live-action films on this Blu-ray uh, collection, Winners and Sinners, uh, Wheels on Meals, The Protector, Twinkle Twinkle Lucky Stars, 
Armor of God, uh, Armor of God 2, Operation Condor, Crime Story, and City Hunter. So um, for those who are familiar with Jackie Chan's career, you know that there's highs and lows in that collection as well. But a very interesting, uh, you know, kind of summary of most of the 1980s of Jackie's career. What do you think about that collection, Liam? It looks, uh, they, you know, they all have their, uh, you know, extended cuts and special features and things like that. Uh, it looks like something you'd be interested in. I think so. I think I wouldn't have been before doing this podcast because I think I was. I mean, part of the point of this show is realizing how limited I was in my understanding of his work. There's definitely some great examples in here, but I think I would have been like, oh, I don't need some of these movies, you know? And now that we've been spending so much time with stuff even before this, I'm kind of in a different space where I'm like, I think it'd be worth having them, even if they're not my favorite Jackie Chan movies per se, I think I'm invested enough in his career at this point that I would like to have the opportunity. Like a movie like City Hunter, I've only seen it once. Now, granted, I got to see it on film thanks to Exhumed Films, but like if it wasn't. (laughs) Was it at X Fest? (laughs) uh, Yes, of course it was. I fucking hate you so much. <laughs> but you're right. No, 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 no. It was. I, I I'm sorry. I mean, here's here's the deal. Like, like I, I they're just they're just a fucking gift, Doug. So I'm good. They're gonna come up. So yeah, Getting I saw a lot of X Vest vibes from this movie. <laughs> All right, whatever. I'm done. Go ahead. Do whatever you're gonna do. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I actually I feel the same way. There's some of these movies that I haven't seen for a while or maybe have only seen once or maybe, you know, this is one of the things that I found with the films that we've been covering so far is that it's rejuvenating the the reputation of a lot of these movies. Right. Which, again, we've mentioned many times before they were released for a lot of us. Uh, we saw them on public domain or really cheap uh, VHS or DVD collections in the late 90s or mid 90s. And uh, and when you watch them with kind of more pristine um, image quality, you get a much better appreciation for the fact that Lo Wei was not a bad filmmaker whatsoever. And even with low budgets, he did have some interesting visual tricks, which you see on display in this movie, which gets really weird sometimes in terms of some of the lenses that are used. Yeah, I think that um, if... Uh, uh... I mean, we'll get into it, but I do think that it, w- it would be easy to low rate this movie if you're just coming in uh, uh, un- unaware. But for right. me, I- I'm kind of stoked that we watched it, even if I might not w- rewatch it again anytime soon. You know. <laughs> well, we'll get into our thoughts on Dragon Fist in just a little bit. But before that, we need to get into some details, Liam, about this very controversial relationship between Lo Wei and Jackie Chan. It's basically been the theme of this podcast since we started. Uh, the fact that this break was going to happen. So there's a lot of different tellings of how the uh, break from Low Way into Golden Harvest happened for Jackie Chan. And I just want to go through, uh, hopefully not too laboriously, what Jackie himself has said in his two autobiographies. Uh, I'm going to start first with Never Grow Up, which is his most recent one from just a couple of years ago. Now, that biography, as we've mentioned several times before, it really glosses over this stage of his career, even though it's very, very important. And how this particular moment is handled is very strange. It's it's handled in this kind of weird sidebar um, that, that it's like it's kind of like told by somebody else. It says behind the scenes by Zhu Mo. And I'm just going to read from it briefly because the same story was told again or, or told previously in his other biography as well. So it goes, one day when he was still with Lo Wei, Jackie noticed the janitor looking depressed. He asked what was wrong, and the janitor said he was old and wanted to retire back home. 
He'd asked the studio for some money as a retirement fund after all his years of service, but they said no. Jackie had known the man for about a year. They ran into each other at the studio every day and would chat for a bit. Sometimes the old man would tell him a joke or two, and they bonded over shared laughter. Jackie couldn't stand to see him so dejected and knew that the studio would never come through for him. After a moment, Jackie said, I have 3000 in my bank account. You can have all of it. The old man was shocked and refused to take it several times. Jackie insisted, and finally, the janitor accepted. This is just me. This is Douglas Tilly. <laughs> this is Doug talking right now. Dubious. I'm dubious about this so far, Liam. I'm not saying it didn't happen. It just seems a little self-serving, this story, up to this point. I don't know if you would agree. I don't know if you have an opinion on that. I, I don't have an opinion. <laughs> okay. After... <laughs> <laughs> After making three hits in a row, Jackie was now a bona fide Hong Kong star. These films topped the box office, and he became a hot property fought over by every studio. Of course, Lo Wei hoped to renew his contract and offered to raise his per-pictured fee to $50,000. But if Jackie broke his contract, he'd owe the studio $100,000. A loyal person, Jackie agreed to the terms. Lo Wei gave him a contract, but the terms weren't filled in. Still, he directed Jackie to the dotted line to sign, I've just come back from abroad and haven't had time to prepare a paper contract. Just sign here and I'll put everything in later, then give you a copy. Lowey told him, <laughs> sorry, Lowey told him, Jackie didn't think about it too much, but duly signed. He believed that his senior in the business, the man who'd helped him get this far, wouldn't cheat him. Jackie Chan, Liam, signed a blank contract that... <laughs> That with someone that he already had been like butting heads against, a blank contract that the person would then fill in later. And this is a story that he's told many times, including that that part is, is echoed in all the tellings of this. What do you think about that? That sounds like the worst thing I've heard in a while. That, not the worst. In the, you know, just like, it just seems like a bad idea, I guess what I should say. Like, I, I shouldn't judge because what would I do in that? I mean, straight up, and we've talked about this before. Um, there's some aspects to Jackie's life around this time that still feel kind of desperate, even with a few films doing really well later. You know what I mean? Like, it just seems like he's on the edge a lot still. Yeah. And so, like, what would I do if I was on the edge? Like, I've thought before, like, I have not just friends, but authors I like. And they'll talk about, you know, my first book. I only got this. And whew, did yeah, I get yeah, ripped yeah, off? Right. And I think fuck, I'd write a book for that much money. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I yeah, understand yeah. that it's not like that. You know, it's it's this scale thing, right? Like, people complain about how much money athletes get. But if you compare how much money they get to how much money people make off of their destroying their bodies, then it's like sometimes more than fair or, or not not even fair how much money they're getting considering how much money is made from them. It's the same when you write a book that someone makes millions of dollars off of and you got paid 80 grand. But right. fuck, I'd love 80 grand. Holy shit, that would change my life. You know, so like, it's yeah. dub, he didn't read the contract, but to what extent was he thinking like... Well, there was nothing to read, Liam. It was a blank Well, right. <laughs> it's dub that he signed something that didn't exist. But then again, like also... Isn't that gangster? Like, it, to a certain extent, I have to think, well, you can't defend that in court, right? Is, right. No court will take that seriously, I don't think. I hope. <laughs> what happened next was astonishing. Golden Harvest, a rival studio, offered Jackie a contract for $1 million per film, then up to $2.4 million, and then $4.8 million. These sums were beyond his wildest dreams. But to accept Golden Harvest's offer, he'd have to break his existing contract with Low Way. That would be a betrayal, though, and Jackie hated to do that. Still, 
Golden Harvest was offering more money than he ever thought he'd make in his life. It was a difficult choice. A difficult choice between 50000 per movie and $4.8 million per movie. <laughs> Must be a really hard choice. Really, Maybe I should stick with the guy who I hate and has treated me like shit the entire time. <laughs> Many friends advised him that actors are usually popular for only a short while, and he had to make his money while he could. And what was he waiting for? After much consideration, he finally decided to sign with Golden Harvest. When he heard about this, Lowey threatened to sue Jackie for breaking his contract. This was expected, but now he said the number that they'd agreed to was not 100000 but $10 million, Liam. Lowey had filled in the blank contract with different terms. This was a major blow to Jackie. Besides the emotional pain of being cheated and lied to, he was stuck. Even if he were to sign up with Golden Harvest, he'd never be able to come up with $10 million for Lowey. But just as Jackie was at his wit's end, the old janitor came to see him. He said that he'd also done some filing at the studio and could testify that Lowey personally ordered him to alter the contract. All these documents were handwritten back then, and the old man had been in charge of this one. Lowey had instructed him to add a stroke on top of one of the characters, turning it from ten to a thousand. The old man said, don't worry, if he sues you, I'm prepared to tell the court what really happened. Whether this is a case of foolish people having foolish luck or a virtue being rewarded, the matter of ten million in damages went away just like that. And because of this whole incident, Jackie was able to sign a contract with Golden Harvest, starting a new era of Jackie Chan films. It's like something out of a Frank Capra film, Liam. That's exactly right, Doug. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) I am hesitant to say that all parts of that story are bullshit. But it doesn't sound real. Like, I mean, there, there, there could be, Jackie's been very honest about the fact that he had nothing, he had no knowledge about business, that he made a bunch of bad decisions and stuff like that. And maybe he did sign a blank contract, but this, like, janitor who, who could testify in court, I mean, it just seems ridiculous. And the reality of the situation is something that we've heard about many times before, but is not discussed in, uh, in any detail in either of these biographies. So just moving on, I'm just going to tell, just go over part of the story again uh, from Jackie Chan's other biography, I Am Jackie Chan, where he tells part of this story uh, once again. So basically, it's the same sort of thing. He says, you know, Golden Harvest has offered him this great amount of money. He has to break the contract. He signed. (laughs) Jackie, there's a quote from Jackie. I was stupid to sign that blank contract. Uh, and Willie Chan, his like, uh, I guess his later manager, but certainly his, his his helper at that time, is basically trying to work things out for him. So this is basically so. It, it aside from the fact that uh, it's not about a janitor in this case, it's about some sort of contracts manager, which makes a lot more sense. Uh, we have a little bit of the kind of the after effect um, where where Willie gets this the the signature from Low. Uh, saying that he can go to Golden Harvest. He goes, Jackie, my dear boy, we're back in business. This is all we need to prove that Lowe acted in bad faith. Don't worry about me. I'll be making phone calls from home. And so a week later, Willie called uh, Jackie at Lowe's office. You shouldn't be calling me here, Willie, I whispered. It's all right. Lowe never answers the phone, and the receptionist is hardly going to turn me in, is she? He said sensibly. I was quite nice to her. What's the news? Are you sitting down? Golden Harvest has upped its bid to 4.2 million Hong Kong dollars. I kicked out my legs and spun around in my chair. In two weeks' time, they doubled their initial offer and then doubled it again. That's not all, Jackie said. Shaw will go as high as five million. So this is interesting too. It mentions that there was a bidding war between the two big Hong Kong studios, Golden Harvest and Shaw Brothers. I wonder what Jackie's career would have looked like because Shaw Brothers really kind of fell apart in the 1980s. 
Anyway, Willie said to take the Golden Harvest offer. Raymond Chow and Leonard Ho are good people. Run Run Shaw, he's something else. <laughs> Besides, Leonard is guaranteeing you all the major markets. You're the biggest thing in Asia since steamed rice, Jackie. But how would you like to be big in France, Germany, and Spain? How about America? The USA? Bruce had been the only Chinese star ever to conquer the States. Golden Harvest had put him there, and now they were promising to send me on a journey to the West as well. Where do I sign? I shouted, causing people around me to look in my direction, startled from their chores. I didn't care. I was gone. I'd stayed with Lowe out of loyalty and innocence, and I was leaving in disgust. Lowe's chains were broken, and the future was bright, and America, the home of Hollywood where filmmaking began, awaited. So Jackie, very excited about going to America. So let me just go quickly through what Jackie Chan's Wikipedia page says about this moment in his career. During the shooting of Fearless Hyena Part 2, Chan broke his contract and joined Golden Harvest, as we've gone through so far, prompting Lowe to blackmail Chan with triads, blaming Willie Chan for his star's departure. The dispute was resolved with the help of fellow actor and director Jimmy Wang Yu, allowing Chan to stay with Golden Harvest. Now, this has been written about again and again when they were talking about Jackie's relationship with Jimmy Wang Yu when he passed away last year. A lot was discussed about the fact that Jimmy Wang Yu already had a relationship with Chinese triads, which I guess were like the mob in, in China, probably still are. Uh, and Jackie and Lo also, Lo Wei also had the relationship with them. He sent them after Jackie. They threatened him. They kidnapped him at one point, I believe, during the making of The Young Master, the movie that we'll be covering next episode. We'll talk a little bit, bit about that then. And uh, Jackie basically had to go to the United States, not because he wanted to go where the filmmaker, where Hollywood filmmaking began, but because he was uh, trying to not get murdered in China. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> In fact, this is a little bit of IMDb trivia about uh, taken from um, uh, the the young master. According to his autobiography, I am Jackie Chan, my life in action. During the making of the film, Jackie was kidnapped by triad gangsters working on behalf of his former employer, Lo Wei. They and Lo forced Chan into making a new film, which Jackie sarcastically called Action Movie, a feature film. <laughs> Eventually, Jackie's manager, Willie Chan, learned of this and got the upper management of Golden Harvest Pictures involved. Golden Harvest shipped Jackie out of Hong Kong for nearly a year for his own protection. He couldn't attend the film's premiere and had to find out its box office results from telegrams. As a result, both Battle Creek Brawl and the Cannibal Run were made while Jackie was living in exile as the triad-backed negotiations over his, contra uh, over his contract between Golden Harvest and Lowe took place. And yeah, so that doesn't mention the uh, Jimmy Wang Yu, but apparently Jimmy was a huge part of smoothing things over. And that's why Jackie was basically not only loyal to Jimmy Wang Yu for the remainder of his career, but also appears in several Jimmy Wang Yu films Liam, including Fantasy Mission Force, which is, again, it's going to bring it all together, Liam. All the more reason for you to be excited about that film. I'm very excited. So, Jackie, threatened by triads, running away to the United States of America. What do you think about all this bad situation, it sounds to me, Liam? I mean, yes, it is entirely bad. I'm sure that all of this drama helps build his legend. But... You're not worried about that. Assuming all this is real, you're not thinking, oh, this is going to make me look really good years from now. <laughs> you're thinking, oh, my God, I hope I don't get murdered. Because yeah. when when that – I mean, don't get me wrong. It seems like uh, all of the entertainment industry, not just in Hong Kong, around the world seems kind of on the edge a lot of times. The stories sure. that come out of making movies all seem a bit psychotic. But – 
this is an environment where you you are kind of on the edge with these companies. They're putting you in danger. There's a lot of money involved. But once actual criminals are involved, it's a whole entire different story. So I'm sure it, it had to be terrifying. Assuming again that this isn't a bit exaggerated or something. I don't I don't know. But it, it's something you hear so often that some part of it I I suspect has to be true. Yeah, absolutely. And also, he shied away from talking about certain aspects of it, right? Particularly in his most recent biography, which that makes me think even more likely that it's true, which is right, an odd way sure. to come at it. You know, now that we've reached the end of, of the low way years, even though we're, we're not actually finished with his films, because we'll have to cover The Fearless Hyena 2 once he cobbles that together. He, it's a shame that he's not able, not able to directly defend himself against some of the things that we're talking about right now. Uh, which isn't to say that they are not true. He seems very difficult to work with. But the fact is, you can see why he would have been excited to re-sign Jackie, because even though all of his attempts himself to make Jackie a star did not work, he did allow Jackie to make Snake in the Eagle's Shadow and Drunken right. Master, right? right? It was still under his watch. And when Jackie came out of that a star, and he released some of the other films, and they did really well as well, well, I mean, it's it. I can see why you'd be like, oh, I can benefit from this. And I would imagine... His next, you know, he wouldn't go back to making Bruce Lee like Jackie Chan movies anymore. He would he would follow the formula that seasonal films put put together of making kung fu comedies. And Jackie would have just continued to make those, maybe not with the large budgets of Golden Harvest. But I just feel like that in term, in terms of the creativity, the fact that we're watching like on this episode, a movie that Jackie filmed before he became a success, it makes it look bad in context because it's just like, why is Jackie going back to making these kind of movies? Well, they were already made, right? I am right. just curious to think about the kind of movies Lo Wei would have made with Jackie if he had stayed with him. And by the way, I'm not saying that they would have been better than the movies that we got out of Golden Harvest. It's just kind of a thought exercise. Lee. We've had this thought exercise before, though. And I, yeah. we've said, I think, and it's less clear in this movie, but I think it's clear in some of the other movies. Lo Wei couldn't share power with Jackie very well previously and maybe now that Jackie's kind of shown he can do his own thing they could have worked together better but that's such pure speculation that it's not really worth it because I'm not convinced there's not some other or at least I don't know of some other relationship where Loe worked better with someone else who he shared authority with I think even Bruce Lee they did they didn't you know they eventually broke apart yeah I think the idea that people have because they don't love Jackie Chan's films that Loe made, that therefore all Loe movies are bad, that seems obviously untrue and unfair. Because right. I think there are some movies he made that are pretty good. It just doesn't seem like this working relationship was ever going to work. And so for me, I'm just kind of like, I, I, I'm uninterested. But I, but I do think like just the fact that he was a controlling person who was uncomfortable giving Jackie Chan maybe the freedom that he needed to create, that doesn't make him... I mean, the triad thing makes him probably a bit of a monster. But uh, I, I think I think the other relationship, it's lots of people have trouble sharing authority. That's a common yeah. thing. And for some people, it's fun. Like, no one talks about awesome collaborations with David Lynch. Like, it, when you're on a David Lynch movie, it's his fucking movie. And you read the lines and you do what he says. I mean, we've all seen the clip that when someone says, why is this take so long? He loses it on the entire. But, like, we all love what he does enough. Maybe not all of us, but for me, when he goes on and on about it, I, I'm thinking, 
David's right. You all need to shut the fuck up. It's just <laughs> when, like, when, when Jim Belushi is asking why he's doing a certain thing on the Twin Peaks, the return set, and David Lynch is just giving him some kind of pat answer. I'm like, but you go, David. <laughs> Don't yeah. explain anything to Jim Belushi. Why should he explain anything to anyone? He's David fucking Lynch. You know what I mean? But but again, I think that so so it's so in other words. Uh, if you're willing to work with someone, right, who is like that, and they don't spill over into total abuse, if David Lynch was really like like mentally torturing people or attacking people, he just gets defensive because people think, I don't know, this is a really long take, and he's like, I'm David Lynch, I don't care, just do what I say, you know what I mean? Like that's the point of this movie is we're all doing what I say, that's what it is, and so like once you're in on that, you're in on that, but like. <laughs> But, like, the idea that, like, well, therefore he's bad, that's not true. It's it, the, the problem is when someone is like that and either one of two things happens. The way that they maintain control is through abuse. Well, okay, that's not okay. I don't care how much of an artist we lift someone up. If they're abusing people, it's unacceptable. Absolutely. And then the second way it doesn't work is when they're bad. There's a bunch of directors out there, and not just directors. This goes for anything creative. There's a bunch of people out there who not only are bad collaborators, but if they could figure out how to be good collaborators, maybe their shit wouldn't suck so bad, right? Because <laughs> they'd they'd absorb the insights of other people. Well, yeah, the stuff Low Way did with Jackie was bad for the most part. I wouldn't say it's universally bad, but it's not as good as what Jackie did on his own, but the man made some good movies. So it's not like he was bad at everything. And I think because of our love for Jackie Chan, we hear these stories and we just want to paint low way, like some sort of cartoon villain. And that's just not fair to the man and his legacy. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, not that, not that low way was David Lynch, but he still directed the big boss and fist of fury. I mean, he's still the guy yeah. who, you know, who launched Bruce Lee. You could see why you might have an ego about that. I, I just feel like, Especially reading some of that text, which is so cartoonishly, Jackie Chan is a being of pure light, you know, that sort of shit, that it just makes me, you know, we know what Jackie Chan is like. That's one thing that we're trying to be very honest about, that he's made a lot of mistakes in his life. Um, he's a, and he's that, a bit self-interested, yeah. but a lot of people who break molds and do new things are a bit self-interested so like yeah. you know we we should understand and when two people who seem a bit self-interested work together <laughs> sometimes it doesn't go well sometimes it goes great but sometimes it doesn't work out <laughs> liam let us take a break uh when we return we're going to get into the final low way jackie chan <laughs> true collaboration 1979's dragon fist Simu, Tong Ho Wan seeks revenge from the man responsible for his master's death, but becomes entangled in a feud between a local clan and gangster. It's Dragon Fist from the year 1979, a.k.a. Long Quan, a.k.a. Academia da Policia in Portugal, which means that it was called Police Academy. 
and also known as Dragon Hero in West Germany. Uh, alternate titles also uh, Dang Sang Martial Arts or The Wild Big Boss, I guess trying to um, reinforce that connection with Lo Wei and The Big Boss. As described in Jackie Chan's biography, I Am, uh, I Am Jackie Chan, my master is killed, so his wife, his daughter, and I set off to seek revenge on his murderer. When we find him, we discover that he's repented his sins and even cut off his leg as penance. Then the one-legged master and I come together to defeat an evil lord who has poisoned my master's widow. By this time, Lo was running out of money, so Spiritual Kung Fu and Dragon Fist didn't get released until after the success of Snake in the Eagle's Shadow. It was released in Hong Kong on April 21st, 1979. Uh, for those of you who may have seen this film on video or even on previous DVD releases, the US version of Dragon Fist is actually 20 minutes shorter than the Hong Kong version. I was actually looking online at some of the differences between the two versions. It's like a lot of snips here and there and then entire scenes are missing. Uh, so it, it, may, it might be a good idea if you've seen this and maybe didn't much care for it to, to reconnect. 20 minutes makes a big difference. Uh, like other Hong Kong movies from this time period, Kung Fu movies in particular, this movie was scored with various musical cues from U.S. movies, mainly Jerry Goldsmith's score for The Sand Pebbles. And during production, Chan uh, reportedly had his nose broken, uh, joking, do you think I was born with this nose? Uh, and in fact, Liam, if you watch the movie, in several scenes, he has a black eye. I mean, he looks like he's been beat up making this thing. So uh, it's definitely visible on screen. Directed, of course, by Lo Wei. Written by Wang Chung Ping. Uh, only other IMDb listed credit is 1979's... Uh, <laughs> Normally, I would try to find an English translation for this, Liam. It is just too much for me. But he only has one other credit on IMDb from this time period. Though I think that the... Um, the plot of this is a lot more intricate than a lot of the Kung Fu movies that we've been watching recently. Cast uh, includes Jackie Chan, of course, in the lead. We have James Tian once again as Fang Gong or Fang Gang. Uh, he, uh, he's played a villain in a lot of the movies we've covered so far. So when a certain thing happens in this movie, it wasn't the most surprising thing in the world. But not as many other familiar faces. I believe this uh, film was made in Korea. Probably did not have access to some of the other um, uh, faces that we've seen in recent films. Though uh, we have seen uh, Xu Xia before. Uh, in Drunken Master, and I think some other film as well. All right, let's get into it, Liam. As we mentioned already, it's a it's a much more serious movie than the movies we've been watching recently. Uh, it has uh, a little bit less, actually pretty significantly less Jackie Chan than the more recent movies we've been watching as well. What did you think of Dragon Fist? I think it's uh, important to acknowledge that, uh, at least for me, that uh, it is both more serious and a bit more convoluted in a way. Uh, yes. There are definitely multiple times where until we really get past uh, this other, this other uh, uh, teacher, right? He repents and cuts his leg off, which is fucking intense, right? Uh, once we get past that, the movie starts to make a lot of sense. Right. Uh, because the relationships are clear. There, we're we're in the we're in a different sort of it, we're in, we're far enough into the future that Jackie Chan's character has become this like almost unstoppable force, right? Which right. means he's been training for a while, and in that time, uh, this other master has you know learned to change his ways, and he has a rival who is a bad dude. So, like, he, this... I should mention Liam that he has motivation for changing his ways because his wife commits right. suicide yes. specifically because of the fact that he's become so obsessed. With, in his case, what he sees as revenge on the fact that Jackie's master, the one who gets killed at the beginning of the movie, was had slept with the guy's wife previously. Well, and so this is what I wanted to get back to. After this initial 
uh, introduction, right? Which is, I think, very sort of clear and feels very familiar. Yes. The whole section after that is kind of confusing for a yeah. little bit, or or at least it doesn't flow as well. And really, the movie felt kind of afloat with characters until Jackie Chan comes back into the picture. And even then... It took me a bit to understand who he was fighting at various times. Yeah, yeah, you know? of course. Uh, uh, but once once we get going here with this plot, it might feel a little painfully painfully familiar to people to say someone's pretending to be good and tricking this guy who we know is generally good, but is um, distracted by his uh, uh, seeking revenge. Right? right, he wants revenge. He can't. He can't really have – I mean, he could, but he can't have the kind of revenge that he thought he was going to get. And so he's easier to manipulate and to change, and that might feel a little samey-samey. But I do think some of the details here are different than other movies that feel similar to this. Like There are changes that I think are interesting. Um, And a lot of the fighting, especially uh, uh, later in the film – is pretty good. Like I think there's, I think it's solid martial arts. Uh, I don't know that it's always filmed great. I do think like uh, the, the some of these later low way movies that we've watched feel a little more choppy than some of his other things. Which sure. maybe that's a limitation in film stock or just in time. I don't know, but it didn't always look as good as some of his other movies. But the overall performances I thought were great. Um, there are a few things though. Like I said, the the plot is convoluted. Um, I think the performances are pretty good, but I think Jackie kind of struggles with his character at times. Like, yeah. w- when his character's trying to understand what he's doing, it's not always clear that he... It's not always clear as a performer, Jackie understands why his, his character's willing to put up with the level of malfeasance he's willing to put up with. All those scenes yeah. feel... They feel stiff. They feel like he doesn't know what he, why he's doing what he's doing, let alone do the other characters understand what's happening. It all feels very sort of... Uh, not convoluted because you understand it sort of on paper, but the performances aren't selling it. Really, the best parts of those things is when he just fights. Like the yes. fighting is cool, but anything he's doing in those scenes where he's not fighting, it just feels kind of awkward. And then one of the things this movie does, which like maybe doesn't bother some people, but we've talked about it before, the fighting level is not always clear. Sometimes Jackie's invincible. Sometimes he's not. Uh, there'll be sudden characters who meant nothing to us. Like uh, one of the ones you listed here, it, it, it should mean something that towards the end of the film, Jackie spends a lot of time fighting a guy you listed as, Nag- I don't know how to pronounce this, Nagal? Nagai? Nagai, I think. I mean, that, yeah, just, I think to, just right. to make it clear, Nagai is like the, that is the evil clan in this movie. The real evil one. And it Jackie literally says, yes. Nagai guy with sharpened clubs. He seems to show up out of nowhere, right? It doesn't make any – it's literally like, what if you fought a guy with clubs? And then it really feels like uh, they just spent so much time choreographing this shit that they included way more of it than they needed to. It's one of the longest fights in the fucking movie. I think it's the best fight in the entire movie. Well, I was about to say, it's really good. Well, that's well, so that's not what I was trying to suggest. I feel like they probably choreograph a lot of these fights, Doug, and then they they use as much of it as they think is is exciting. And I think the reason we get so much of this fight is it's so good, right? Yeah. But that – Sucks because it's a better fight than some of the fights with the more meaningful characters in the movie, which is like not thing, what you want. The good thing is that that fight comes in the final ten minutes, and that's the thing that this movie has over some of the other movies yeah. that we've watched recently. This movie has tons of fights, but they're like short, like two minute long, sure, you know, kind yeah. of bursts of action. But then at the end, it all kind of you know, Jackie he, he discovers he's being manipulated. He he gets pissed off and he starts fighting, and all that stuff gets really good. I think this movie. 
has a lot of setup, but at least it climaxes at the right part, even if it climaxes in the in the fight before the final fight. <laughs> but that's it, not. It, yeah, it doesn't ruin the movie, but it is weird. And it also, the reveal in this movie made sense to me because they sense or not sense. They uh they uh what do I want to say? They telegraph that a reveal is coming. You know, yeah, there are certain foreshadow it details that you're like, oh, something's not right here, but. The actual reveal did feel a little bit out of nowhere, like, oh, that guy? Okay, sure, whatever, <laughs> fine. And it's not as much as some of the other movies we watched where, like, some guy is secretly someone else and there's a whole army behind the scenes that you didn't know was there. Like, we've seen some reveals in these movies that are truly fucking insane. So it's not that. But it is a bit sort of strange. Uh, and I think in a in a not uh, – in, in a different genre, it's a level of reveal that would be derailing. Right. Yeah. But I think if you're used to martial arts films, you go, oh, okay, sure. That's the guy. It doesn't really like affect it that much. But I know like some part of my brain went, that doesn't fucking make sense. And I'm like, I know it doesn't, but whatever. It is what it is. That's the big reveal. Let's just keep going with it. And, uh, you know, it's not, it's the sort of movie where if I just caught this somewhere, right, and we weren't doing a Jack and Chan podcast, it would kind of roll off my back, quite honestly. I don't sure. think it would leave a huge impact. But, it's still pretty strong, and it it lacks the thing that I think we want, and yet is still pretty good. So I think that's worth noting, because what we want is a movie that feels like a Jackie Chan movie, in which he's able to do a combination of humor and incredible performance. That is not what this is. His, his martial arts are pretty good. He has some strong performances. This movie has never heard a joke, really. Like there's yeah, no there's no humor, humor in it at all, and he's asked to act in a serious way, which it's not that he's impossible. It's not that he's incapable of acting in a serious role, but I think his abilities are pushed in this movie, and not because he's not able to do those scenes. I think the movie isn't sure what the fuck is happening at that point. That they haven't yeah, yeah. they haven't really made the case as to why he would be willing to help people that he can see are bad people they they haven't really made that case and they kind of just ignore it so that they can focus on the conflict and the and and the sort of when he comes around on helping out this man that he hates so much okay. i feel like i need to give a little bit of a summary of the yeah plot. sorry 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 I've, no, I, no. I threw a lot of stuff out there and i should have given more context no it's okay i just want to make sure that that those listening even people who've seen it before because it is such a complex plot in a lot of ways that they just have something kind of to rudder against in terms of the 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 structure of the thing. So what happens is that Jackie um he is the basically adopted son. Uh he has a, a master, Master Chang. In the opening scene of the movie, Mas uh Senior Chung, another uh guy who owns a different school, he arrives, him and Master Chang battle. Chung beats Master Chang and kills him. Or basically he injures him so badly that he dies. We find out later that the reason um, Chung wanted to kill Master Chang is because his wife had slept with Master Chang years before. So that sets up a very traditional plot that we see in martial arts movies. It, we jump ahead three years. Uh, Jackie has traveled to the uh, the Patience Clan, which is run by uh, Master Chung, and he's going to get his revenge. He's going with the his master's wife and his master's daughter. So they're all traveling together. He's going to go there, basically get his revenge. But when he gets there, he finds that uh, that uh, Chung, the, the person he's getting revenge against, his wife has committed suicide. He has become very repentant. He has cut off his leg. He has given them a golden sign for their school. He basically is, is you know, he, at that point, Jackie refuses to, even though he has to be held back a little bit, he refuses to get the revenge that he came there to get. Very interesting kind of turn of events. 
And the other thing that's kind of strange about this is that we never see that three years. Like we don't see him improve his martial arts. There's no training montage. There's no there's no montage at all. It's just it's three years later, and we're supposed to accept that Jackie Chan is just a better fighter because in the in the opening scene he's not shown as being particularly strong. So there's also another clan, Nagai clan, and they're the bad guys throughout the whole thing. They end up hiring Jackie, and what they do to force him to work for them is that they are poisoning his master's wife. They're poisoning her. She doesn't know what's going on. She's sick. They say they have the medicine, and what he, he's doing is, is if he works for them, because this medicine is hard to make, they only have so much of it, if he keeps working for them, they will continue to provide the medicine. So even though he's doing bad shit and he knows he's doing bad stuff, he ends up uh, working for the bad guys for a while. That's most of the movie. It all culminates in the conflict, like the final confrontation between the Nagai clan and the Patience clan, you know, and remember that the Patience clan is now run by a guy with one leg and they're about to have a big fight. Jackie is very hesitant to fight them, to fight the people that he knows that, you know, are he's developed relationships with some of the people there. And uh, what the Nagai clan do is they get his master's uh, wife and the daughter and brings them there, explain their whole plan in detail. And then, and I want to get your take on this, Liam. When the master's wife discovers that it was kind of her that he's been trying to protect, getting the medicine and stuff like that, she kills herself in front of everybody. Does she bite her tongue to do it, Liam? How does she kill yeah. herself? Oh, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. That's she bites her tongue. I've heard about for a while that I don't think is real. Yeah, she bites her tongue and bleeds out in front of everybody. And so Jackie has his last reason to do anything for the guy clan. And he goes, uh, in the style of, of, of uh, Billy Jack, he goes berserk and he fucking just loses it, starts beating everybody. And that's when it leads to the final segment of the movie. The weird other thing about this is this movie ends after like the bad guy has been beaten on a super sad note where they're all like the daughter of the master, his master's daughter and Jackie, they run over to the corpse of this woman and just start crying. And that's the end of the movie. That's what well, you walk oh, out. Oh, I, I actually think that's great because I think the movie only works as a tragedy. If it's supposed to be some sort of like heroic journey, we right. fucking miss the mark hard. But if the yeah. tragedy is because I mean, uh, this is the one thing I also wanted to say. Thematically, this is a stronger movie than a lot of the Jackie Chan movies we've Most watched. certainly. Absolutely. Because it really is hard in a world of violence, which these movies present, right? That everything is dealt with and mitigated through violence. Violence is the way that things are understood. It's the way that you get what you want. Even if you're a good person, that's how you get what you want. Like violence, the 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 uh, economy of violence, the mastery of violence, violence runs through everything. And what this movie really pushes is how do you negotiate forgiveness in a world of this much violence? Yeah. And, and, and then on top of that, of course, is aspects of honor and things like that. But like forgiveness isn't unique to any one sort of group of people. So like in this sort of scenario, which is, of course, a heightened scenario that like, there, there was no period in the history of these folks that was actually this insane. Right. But in this world that we're presented where your whole life could be about the honor of your school, where you just punch a little different than the guy down the road and you're willing to kill each other over the difference in your punches in that world, 
how do you forgive someone, even though it's clear that they've changed? I mean, the man cuts his leg off. I don't yeah. care how much you're trying to fool your enemies. You don't cut your leg off for a gimmick, right? Like, mm-hmm. clearly he means what he says. But just because he means what he says doesn't mean you can let it go. There's yeah. a lot on the line here, not just for your dead master, but for you and your community and your school. Like, how do you start a school again if you come home and go, yeah, I went to get revenge, but uh, I don't know. He cut his leg off, so we decided just to come home. <laughs> that doesn't sell, right? It doesn't work. And so, like, um, I just think the movie has thematically a lot going on. It just is also trying to be a very badass movie. So while I do honor and really respect the level of thematic uh, ideas in the film, it, it's that's not why you're here necessarily. So like, I'm not sure that that is enough to make the movie more than just pretty good. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, yeah. I res- I respect the effort, but I wish that the effort was there along with some of the best fighting I've ever seen, and that's not quite what it is. There's another layer to that complexity as well, which is the idea that the reason that Jackie wants to get revenge is because his master was dishonored, right? Right, and that yes. He, this, this man that he's going to get revenge against is a dishonorable, he sees him as a dishonorable, evil person. And then after he decides not to do that revenge, he becomes dishonorable and evil, right? He works for the bad guys. He becomes worse than this guy ever was because at least the guy that he wanted to get revenge against, he had a motivation for it, even if it was a, a, a bad one because of, you know, he was trying to to get his own revenge at the time. So it's interesting to see, you know, and that's why this is such an off-model thing where we have Jackie Chan not only, you know, A, kind of being a bad guy, even though it's a reluctant one, but B, repressed, like super repressed, not able to go all out the entire time. Even these short bursts of violence, he's never really going all out. And one of the fun things about this movie is when he snaps, he like is, he's brutal, right? He just beats he beats a guy to death almost immediately after he snaps and, and after the his uh, master's wife kills herself. Yeah, I think that that aspect of the movie is part of its strength. And honestly, like I think that's one of the things that's so frustrating is that um on on paper this all seems like a good idea. I think the script fails to sell us on his corruption, which is how the movie works. Like there's no story if Jackie Chan's character isn't corrupted, right? That's the narrative. That's really where it has to go. But like he fucking gives in so quickly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like and and, and again, on uh, from a distance it works, right? The whole reason this thing started is because the other master felt disrespected and like you said, it's all about it's revenge all the way it's turtles all the way down. It's revenge yeah, all the yeah. way down. Mm-hmm. But there's no selling of Jackie Chan's character. And maybe what would have made sense if Jackie Chan's character felt he's impetuous. That's clear. And I'm and I accept that. But if he was more of a dick, right? If if there sure. was more flaw to his character before this moral quagmire comes up, then I could see him turning and then turning back. But right. really, we're just watching a character that we all know is gonna be good get out of his own way and start to be good. That really is how it functions. And that's frustrating. It actually isn't exciting or interesting. It's frustrating the whole time. Yes. Especially when that person is the person that you came to see. Right. Right. And and we've seen this a few times in the past where Jackie doesn't seem to be the featured person in his own movies. And again, this is, this is still a weird circumstance because this is a movie that was made before he became a superstar, but it's still, he is still the focus of this movie. Everything is about him. Breaking. Everything is about him, you know, letting loose at the end of the movie. But that just means a lot of waiting around and other things happening. 
And this is very much a Bruce Lee style role. You know, we've, we've wrinkled a bit about the idea that Lo Wei was just trying to recreate Bruce Lee directly because it, it hasn't been that cut and dry. This feels more like that, where it's like it's Bruce Lee. He's almost emotionless to a certain extent, but all he has in himself is this kind of burning anger that he's repressing. And then he lets go in these short bursts of violence. And that's kind of what we have here. But it's just like Jackie Chan isn't Bruce Lee. That is the one thing that we can say with full confidence at this point. He just doesn't work in the same kind of roles. And this is a movie that I don't know if it would work better with someone like Jimmy Wang Yu in that role. But it just isn't it doesn't feel right for Jackie as a performer. Jackie was the fight choreographer in this film, as he was in a lot of his films around this time period. What did you think about the action in this movie generally? Like I said, I think it's pretty strong, actually. I, I, I think when we're t- when you talk about the fighting in these movies, it's about the performance and it's about the camera, right? What are we seeing? How is it being filmed? I'm not always sure that in a fight where I'm actually kind of invested in the performance, the camera's always helping, right, yeah. in this movie. If it's filmed properly and the performers are good, then this shit is transcendent. This is why we watch these movies. But for me, it felt a little rote at times mm-hmm. uh, in how it was being filmed, even if I think some of the the fighting is pretty strong. And there's some cool innovation here, which is the only place that might seem a little silly. When our one-legged master is like helping them fight in almost like a, <laughs> a, like a sack race style. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that could be seen as silly. For me, I was like, cool. Like, anything that adds ingenuity to these fights and doesn't distract from the fights is mostly cool to me. And so... Because there's, there's almost no weapons in this movie. Right, right? It's yes. almost all hand-to-hand combat, right up until that that part with the clubs near the end. Up yes. to that point, yeah, it's all hand-to-hand or hand-to-foot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And and I love that. I think So I think there's a lot of strong fights. I think that you're right to point out that a lot of them are short. There's not as many extended battles until the end but i kind of liked i liked that because it brought variety in my mind whereas sometimes longer fights can become repetitive and i didn't feel that way here uh but it doesn't uh it doesn't ever get to the level for me of mind-blowing there's not a lot of moments where i was like oh i'd put that in a clip reel you know what I right. mean? Like it, it never goes completely over the top. And it's not that I need that per se, but I think in a film where a lot of the elements of the storytelling are not working, if there was a few moments of utter insanity on screen, I might still put this movie up pretty high in my ranking. You know what I mean? Because sure. that level of commitment to uh, performance or, and I hate to say it, but uh, lack of safety at times, <laughs> that can sometimes distract you from the fact that like narratively you're not as invested in the film. I will say also that having watched now a few Jackie Chan comedies in a row, some of the fighting, it's not that it gets, it's not that it's repetitive, but there is a lot of samey aspects of it, the way that he uses humor within the fights. And it was kind of nice to see him go back to fighting seriously again, even if it's just, you know, just breaking the the, the pattern that we've seen up to this point. Did you have a favorite fight in the movie? Oh, I think we already said mine, which was really the guy with the pointy sticks. If I'm not talking about that gentleman, I actually think the... (laughs) The uh, the opening credits fight was like right. kind of an awesome way to start. The, I mean, I was pretty excited just from that whole f- beginning. Um, and then when Jackie Chan shows up later, I forget exactly. I, it's kind of with just random uh, Nagai 
people who who we kind of recognize later on more but they at the time they're just kind of random dudes and they just sort of challenge him because they don't know who he is yeah yeah it's so clear that he's better than them i kind of love that not not that you want that the whole movie you want to see him fight someone eventually who can give him a fight but that initial like i'm a badass now move it was pretty sick actually i thought it really worked yeah that's the bruce lee stuff right where he's just there's no question that he's going to be able to destroy like eight guys by himself and we just, we just are going to enjoy watching him do it yeah I, I really like that as well the part with the sharpened clubs near the end is i think head and shoulders above all the other fights to the yeah, point where yeah. it almost feels like it was tacked on because like we were even saying, it's like this is a guy that we the weapons are, are different than anything that we see in the movie. It's it, it it goes longer than I think any fight in the movie. It 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 couldn't have been entirely tacked on because the damage that Jackie suffers in that fight is kind of important for his then fight with the Nagai boss that follows it. But it it really is. There's well, lots of he's, great... he's that guy is in shots earlier. Like this whole climax, that guy's on screen. So yeah. they clearly plan for him to be a part of it because they. It, there's a lot of shots with that are supposed to just be of the Nagai guys that you know, and then yeah. he's there, which is why I noticed him because I thought, well, who the fuck is that guy? Yeah, right, <laughs> you right, know? right. In, in a movie where I'm trying to keep track of people, because there's a lot of, I mean, it's not a huge cast, but there's a lot of characters that like mean something, right? They're not just there as a talking head, and yeah. it's hard to keep track, honestly, uh, if you're not paying attention. I do want to also say like. When we talk about the choreography and you were saying like some of the comedic fights get a little bit repetitive, it's worth noting like some of the most amazing things about Jackie Chan's later films is not just how they feel like American action movies. It's that the intricacy of the choreography goes to insane levels in some of those later films. So when I'm talking about this movie or some of the other early movies, I'm comparing them to each other, right? The sort of insane shit you're going to see in a Project A or in a police story or in a fucking uh, first strike, that shit's not happening at all yet, anywhere. So, like, that's not a fair comparison. But, like, I do think this serious fighting for this time uh, in his career, it's still pretty good, even if it lacks some of the wow factor of him, like, jumping through a ladder or some shit, you know? Well, that's it. The props are what's going to define a lot of the 80s Jackie Chan yes, we're going to see yes, a bit later. Yes. And we've seen some of that with, with uh, some of the movies we've been watching recently, even things like the first Fearless Hyena, you know, with the cups, and we see with the the bench and things like that. Uh-huh. But uh, but yeah, we're going to get more into that going forward. Any other fights that, that stand out to you at all in this? Uh, well, I do think when... Um when uh, he first shows up in that big fight and he's fighting these folks that he doesn't really want to fight, you know, Uh, the way that he is both uh, uh, better than them, but I was also holding back. I really like. Yes. Uh, And then the utter insanity, as we've already said, but I'll bring it up again of the one legged master really bending the scales (laughs) against him. I thought that was hilarious because it's like, how does he help? I don't understand. But the idea like his Kung Fu is so good that even with one leg, he's pretty badass. I was like, all right, fine. If that's what we're doing, that's what we're doing. I'm in. I just like the idea of like the Nagai clan. Their their whole plan is just that, oh, we have Jackie Chan. So that's all we needed. Now we can come and take over you guys. And it's just like that but we found out that even though it was three on one, when you introduced this one legged master into it, they were going to beat him. Like he was losing in that yeah, fight. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the scales weren't tipped as much as they thought. Uh, I've already talked about now the ending. Yeah, so the, the master's wife, she bites her tongue and dies. And it is very downbeat. And I, I know that you said, Liam, that you kind of like that about the ending. And I do have to say, I do too in the sense that it's just so different. 
But it's just like, boy, this movie could not be any more different than the kind of movies we've been talking about recently. And I can only imagine that people at the time going to the theater to see this movie, not realizing that it had sat on the shelf, they must have been very confused <laughs> to see Jackie Chan in this kind of movie, you know, after he was a, a huge success. Well, I think especially if they discover, like, if, if, you've, if you're doing what we're doing, this isn't that different than other things that he has done previously. Right. However, he's now established himself. And we got to think that a huge part of that audience are people who would not have been able to pick him out of a lineup before these other movies, you know, before yeah, yeah. these these big movies. And so once you get known as a certain... Now, what they might have done is something that I think we see happen now as a matter of course, which is if you do three movies that are similar, you better fucking do something different or that's going to be you. That's your fucking brand now, right? In, in, the, in the Hollywood way of doing things. But at the time, I don't think anyone there was thinking that way, right? Like thinking like, yeah. oh, well, I get it. He's trying to change his brand. Like that wasn't I mean, really Jackie was table. saying himself, right? In that write-up, he's like, we only have two or three years, right? And then I'll be done. So, yeah, it, yeah. you know, it's like it's like how bands were thinking of themselves when the Beatles were around, right? Like, you don't need to think about 10 years from now. Bands only last three years. That's all it's going to be. Oh, man. I mean, you know I know about that more than anybody in the fucking punk. You know how many bands are considered legendary in this world that only put out one seven-inch? Sure, you know? right, of course. And, and then it gets hilarious when people are like, oh, I want them to play a reunion show some 30 years later. Like, why? They're old men now. They wrote that when they were 17. Like, why does that matter to you? It's just so... And 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 and, and everyone brings up the one band that's good and thinks that now every band can reunite. And you're like, no, like, something's wrong with the... You know, like, the great example is Negative Approach, right? They they because they played music in other bands that weren't negative approached for so long, when they finally reunited, they were still musically good and some would say even better than when they were first around. But no one stops to go, why are these fifty some year old men still good at playing the angriest music of the last forty years? They need counseling. Like it's not okay yeah, that right. they can still do this. It actually shows something might be wrong with them that they're still good because normal people <laughs> can't play the angry music that they wrote when they were seventeen, even if it's not aggressive music even if they wrote a sad love song that's a pop song when they're doing it when they're 50 it just doesn't fucking feel the same right it just isn't they should introduce it like every song they come it's like this is a song i wrote when i was dumb and young and i didn't know what was going on i'm not like that anymore but now i'm gonna play it anyway yeah no i think i think i think that's a level of reflection you're not getting from those from those fellas <laughs> yeah i was thinking that uh, um, a comparative thing to the jackie chan audiences the audiences in hong kong watching this movie would be like if after Ace Ventura and Dumb and Dumber and The Mask came out, that ja that, that um, Jim Carrey immediately released the number twenty three, right? And what how audiences would react to being so different than what they had, you know, conjured in their mind in terms yeah, of what this person I hear you. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you've already talked about it a little bit, Jackie Chan. You feel he's a bit miscast in this movie? Um, yes and no. I think with a more this is just my bias, right? Because I'm I'm biased towards Jackie. But I think maybe with a script that made it more clear what his motivations were in certain moments, right. his performance would feel better to me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. A as it stands, when he's fighting, he's still great. I think he's still great. And if all you had to do in these movies was fight, then like it wouldn't matter. But the reality is he's asked to do a lot of dramatic acting in this movie. And some of it works, you know, but there are moments that are so bad. And I if I don't blame the script, then, yes, he's miscast. But I don't know that anyone 
would have been great in those scenes because I just yeah. think the movie doesn't make the case for those points. The parts where we understand his motivation, he's not he's not amazing. He's not doing anything like uh, uh, groundbreaking, but he's really strong. And it is a reminder, like when people think of him as only a humorous actor, I don't think that's fair either. I think he can he has a bit of a range, even if that range isn't quite transformative, you know? Right. Absolutely. And, you know, it's it, having watched this era of Jackie Chan, I think we can agree that the worst version of him is stoic Jackie Chan. It just 100 percent. It's against everything that we think of him. But even just he just doesn't look comfortable doing that kind of work. And I think you can it kind of exudes when you're watching the film. But I mean, any final thoughts on this movie generally? I mean, I thought it, it's it's not bad. It, it like what you were saying earlier, if you just kind of happened upon it and you didn't have all the baggage of it starring Jackie Chan. Yeah, you probably wouldn't. It wouldn't stick with you very, very well. But it certainly isn't notably worse than a lot of the martial arts movies of that time period. I think, you know, uh, I, I mean, I don't know that we have an audience, but assuming we have an audience, <laughs> I would say that for the people listening who are just in it for the love they have for Jackie Chan, this is actually not an essential movie. I don't, I don't you're, you're not getting what it is you love about Jackie Chan in this movie. And if you're not interested, you're not interested. But for people listening, because they generally like martial arts movies and Jackie Chan is just one of a number of kinds of martial arts films that they like, I don't think this is a bad movie. I think this is worth checking out. And I think it's interesting in some of the, the, the decisions it makes. Uh, it doesn't all work. But overall, I think it was a it was a pretty good watch. I will say though, if you're if you are short on time and all you're interested in really is the choreography, you could just watch the end of the movie really yeah. and get Final the, and get, minutes, the best, get the best get the best parts. <laughs> Not that the other choreography is bad. I think it's all strong, but really all the noteworthy stuff happens at the end. Liam, now that we have reached the end of the mostly the end of the Lowe era, uh, any thoughts? about it any any misconceptions that people have about this i think we've gone over it in a little bit of detail in this episode and certainly on previous episodes as well but uh any any kind of uh, final thoughts to wrap up low way and jackie chan as collaborators i don't know that i'll return to a lot of these low way collaborations with jackie chan but am i somewhat inclined to see if there are other low made movies that people who've watched more of these films than I have would recommend, you know, like there, there are people whose whole careers are studying martial arts films. There's got to be someone out there who's like, here are some of the best low way films. I'm, I'm actually interested in that. I think those could be fun and, and they're of an era. You know, I don't think that low way could have made the transition into the eighties in a strong way, you know, considering the kind of movies he makes, but of this era, I think there's got to be some other you know, strong examples that I haven't seen, even though I've right. seen a few of his movies. Um, but like, again, if you're a Jackie Chan completist, there's too many movies he did with Low Way that I think are pretty good to give up on it completely. Like, absolutely. But I would understand if none of those movies were in your list of favorite Jackie Chan movies. Cause I just yeah. don't think, I don't think there's a single one that stands above even his breakout movies of this time period. Yeah, no, I think that's fair to say. I think some of them are better. In fact, quite a few of them so far are better than their reputation, and some of them significantly so. But we know what we're headed towards. That That's actually kind of our uh, our uh, uh, Achilles heel in this, right? It's just if, if we didn't know how good they, they were going to get, then the fact that we have bright spots and movies that are good, then that would be enough. But yeah, the, the reason we have a Jackie Chan podcast is because we know that he's going to be the biggest martial arts star in the world for the next 30 years. Uh, it would be a, it would be incredible to do this, Doug, with someone who had no idea one way or the other. 
Yeah. So like they were, they were like they we're watching all these movies and they're going like he's cool, but it's weird that we do this show for him. And then it just slowly <laughs> ramped up until they were like losing their fucking minds. That would be unbelievable. <laughs> well, maybe people are listening to it in that way. Someone has lived in a cave for the last forty years. <laughs> Uh, Liam, on the next episode, we do our own stunts. We will be watching Jackie's first Golden Harvest film, 1980s The Young Master, directed and partially written by Jackie Chan. Start, you know, We're going to be seeing a lot of unfamiliar faces up to this point, though maybe familiar if you're uh, a fan of Jackie Chan's later work. Uh, and that that is one of the things I'm most interested in, even though we're going to get sidetracked with his U.S. work for a little while. But, you know, I'm, I, I think we're both interested to see... Um, some of the Seven Little Fortunes show up in his movies and him ha- ha- having interactions with them. Yun Biao shows up in The Young Master and I'm looking forward to to seeing that, right? I mean, that's that's part of the evolution of Jackie and the people that, that are kind of in his sphere at this time period. I'm sure there's going to be people who I recognize, but because I haven't done the research that you have, I won't know who they are till you tell me on the episode. <laughs> All the more fun. That's fun for me too, Liam. Hey, you recognize that guy? We'll 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 figure it out as we go around because as uh, the ascent of Jackie Chan starts, the ascent of a lot of those people like Yun Biao and Sammo Hung, you know, they're all. I mean, Sammo's been at it for a while, but you know, the basically the. The structure set out by Snake in the Eagle's Shadow and Drunken Master benefited them as much as they benefited anybody. Uh, yeah, so we're going to, yeah. you know, I'm sure we're going to be talking about them, not directly, but certainly um, uh, about some of their films as we go along. Uh, but yeah, so that's the next episode, 1980s, The Young Master. Liam, if people want to check out more episodes of We Do Our Own Stunts or other great podcasts, what's the best way for them to do so? Well, obviously, they can head over to C-I-N-E-P-O-N-X, Cinepunks.com, uh, where... Yeah. Uh, yeah, our latest episodes are, but also the family of podcasts associated with this show, whether that's uh, Twitch of the Death Nerve or uh, The Carnage Report or Horror Business, a bunch of uh, shows over there, people doing great work. Um, and of course, they can uh, look for Cinepunks' Patreon, where uh, me and you have done some stuff, and hopefully we'll do more stuff in the future. But uh, my co-host Josh and I do a lot of stuff for the Patreon There's uh, worth checking out. Um, they can, of course, follow Cinepunks on social media, uh, whether that's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, YouTube, whatever it is. <laughs> uh, find us, uh, C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. And uh, if you want to get in the archive of not just we do our own stunts, but the variety of, of shows we do here for Cinema Smorgasbord, you can head over to cinemasmorgasbord.com, and we update on Twitter with our latest episode, at Cinemasmorg, S-M-O-R-G. You can also join the Cinepunks Discord if you want to reach out to Liam or myself. Uh, and we have a lot of great content over there as well. We're still keeping it close to the vest because we don't want a lot of jerks on it. But uh, I really like the community that we are building there. And yeah, Cinema Smorg on Twitter. Uh, some uh, upcoming new podcasts coming in 2023. You can check out some of the latest news on that over there as well. Uh, and you can, of course, follow Liam on Twitter at Liam Rules. That's R-U-L-Z. I'm on there as well at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. But for now, Liam, that's it for We Do Our Own Stunts. We're going to be back very soon with 1980s The Young Master. Good night, everyone. Night-night. Night-night.